0: Uh... <laughs> Uh, well, welcome church. Hello online, North Avenue, Essex. It's, uh, it's great to join you once again today as we worship together and as we dive into God's word. Um, you know, Pastor Scott was supposed to be here today, uh, this Sunday, but again, he's asking for your prayers in the next coming days. Uh, he and Diane, they uh, are in Minnesota right now for the memorial service of Diane's uncle, uh, her mom's brother, who, who passed away, uh, I, I think, just in the last couple weeks. And uh, I'm sure Scott will fill you in on some more details when he's back, but he shared with uh, some of us that uh, Diane's uncle and his wife, uh, they, you know, they're in Minnesota, but since the shutdown uh, for COVID, they have joined us for worship online every week over the last year and a half, and they've really uh, come to love and appreciate our church. They've been praying for us, for you, and they really uh, love Scott and consider him their pastor. So uh, Scott and Diane are not only out there for uh, the memorial service, but Scott has been asked to lead the memorial service, which I believe is on Tuesday. So uh, be praying for them these couple days as they as they walk through a couple uh, tough days, tough moments, but also celebrating that uh, Diane's uncle is now face-to-face with Jesus forever, and uh, that is a reason to celebrate and something to hold on to. So be praying for Scott and Diane uh, over these next few days. Uh, if you were here last week or you tuned in online, you know we started a two-week teaching series talking about discipleship, really looking at it from a big-picture perspective. And our approach these two weeks is, is to look at how Jesus did discipleship uh, with his 12 disciples while he was here on earth with, with, uh, with them. Last week, just by way of recap, we talked about uh, what discipleship means. I defined it. I'll remind us of that in a second. And uh, I talked about why I defined discipleship this way. And uh, I'm not gonna go over that again, but if you want to uh, look over last week's message or any of our previous week's message, go to our YouTube page, Essex Alliance. You can search it and you'll find messages going back years uh, from our church. So check out the YouTube page. So uh, we define discipleship, talk about why we define it that way. And then I mentioned I see real three key ingredients uh, in how Jesus discipled his 12 disciples. And last week we started with one of those, and I promised today we would talk about the other two. So that's what we're going to do today, talk about the other two key ingredients of Jesus' discipleship with the 12 disciples. So let me remind us of the definition of discipleship we're working from. This is my definition, and you'll see it on the screen. Discipleship is the ongoing process by which we become more like Jesus. Discipleship is the ongoing process by which we become more like Jesus. So that's our definition. So looking at Jesus in the 12, like I mentioned, there's really three big key principles for uh, how we can do discipleship like the Twelve. And, and it's not a program to follow, right? It's not a step-by-step process. Rather, three guiding principles that we as a church and you as individuals can commit to as we think about what it means to engage in discipleship and follow Jesus and fulfill this call to discipleship. So uh, those three key ingredients, again, let me just remind us of that. Uh, number one was sitting at Jesus's feet, number two is practicing, and number three is doing it together. So those are our three key ingredients. Uh, Last week, we, we looked at sitting at Jesus' feet, learning from him, right? Jesus teaches us Just like he taught his 12 disciples, who he was, what he was doing, why he was doing it, and uh, teaching them to see things from this new perspective of grace fulfilled in Jesus' coming, his death, and resurrection. And he teaches us the same thing today in the primary way, we talked about this last week, that uh, we learn from Jesus is in the pages of our Bibles. It's where we get to know him and get to know about him. So that's what we did last week. And today we're going to dive into those other two discipleship ingredients, practicing and doing it together. So we're not going to waste any time. We're just going to get right into it this morning. Second key ingredient of discipleship is practicing, practicing. Discipleship involves practicing looking like Jesus and doing what he did. Here's something Jesus says to his disciples in uh, John chapter 14, verse 12. He says this, thing. he says, truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater than these because I'm going to the Father. Disciples, uh, disciples of Jesus do what Jesus does. And as he says here in, the, in this verse, he says, and even greater things than he does, which is crazy to think. Being like Jesus means doing the things that Jesus does. It's part of discipleship. Uh, now, the typical way we in the 21st century American church and 21st century American Christians, we have thought about discipleship over the last few decades is primarily informational. Right? If I can just get the right information into people's heads, then they'll uh, be good disciples of Jesus. So uh, what this typically looks like, you'll see on the screen, is right, right information leads to right action, which equals discipleship. Maybe you won't see it on the screen. Right information leads to right action, which equals discipleship. Uh, This is not a formula for discipleship success. For 99% of us, I'd say, uh, information doesn't automatically lead to action. It may for a time. We may have a quick springboard, but eventually we sort of default, right? We go back to the way things were. Now, it's true, information influences us and how we act and what we do, but it won't take effect without us intentionally putting it into effect in our lives. We have to decide to do that. We have to choose to do it. How to live like Jesus. Where in our lives we're going to make those changes and what we're going to do, and and typically this is piece by piece until our whole life picture starts to change. It's not likely to happen all at once, although maybe for you it has, and that's awesome and that's something to celebrate. For, For most of us, this process of looking more like Jesus is pretty slow, it's kind of incremental, it's often painful, and, uh, and doing what Jesus does, being like him, takes us practicing that. Whether it's something in our character, like becoming more patient, or more joyful, or whether it's um, using a spiritual gift that God's given you and, and increasing that and trying that out. It takes practice. And Jesus had his disciples practice. He had them practice, right? He taught them. We talked about that last week. He taught them. He also showed them what he does, right? They were present for his miracles, for his healings, for his casting out demons, for his preaching, all that. He showed them. He taught them. And then he sends them out to do those things, Uh, We're going to go to Luke chapter 9. And uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all contain a version of this story in their Gospels of of the disciples being sent out to practice. So here's Luke chapter 9. We'll start in verse 1. It says, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, Take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt, and whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And if we jump down to verse 10, it says, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. As part of his discipleship process with his 12 guys, Jesus sends them out to practice doing the things that he does. I mean, look at the things that it says in, this, in these verses that uh, he sent them out to do. Cast out demons, cure diseases, heal the sick, proclaim the kingdom of God. That's the stuff that Jesus has been doing. That's what he does. Healing the sick, casting out demons, proclaiming the kingdom. And Jesus now is sending out his disciples to practice doing the things that he does because he's bringing them along in the process of looking like him. That's what discipleship is, becoming like Jesus. And he gives them opportunity to do the things he does, to practice those things. But when he sends them out, his practice goes beyond just the practical matters of you know doing the healing and uh, proclaiming and all that. I think he's also teaching them how to do it, not the mechanics of it, but how in terms of the manner in which they do it, uh, the process, and um, uh, how how they think about it as they go, how they handle themselves. So looking at this story here, these verses we just read, he showed them, he's taught them how to do what he does, but I think he's also teaching them to trust God. He's also teaching them to trust God as they do it. He instructs them, don't take anything with you. No money, no bread, no bag, no extra shirt. Trust God to provide these things for you as you go. And I think this extends also beyond those uh, practical things to the courage, the strength, and the faith to do the things they've been asked to do, right? Go heal the sick. Jesus, I'm just a fisherman. I've never healed anyone before. That's your job. It takes trusting God that he's going to provide everything you need to do what he does. And I think Jesus is teaching them in this process to trust God. I think he's also teaching them how to handle success. He says to them, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. Right? If you're having success, stick around and keep at it. A natural human inclination might be to start to climb the ladder, right? Climb the ladder. Um, When we have success at something, naturally that draws attention. And eventually that'll draw the attention of uh, more important and notable people. And I can imagine as the disciples are going town to town, healing people, proclaiming this message with authority of the kingdom of God, that that would draw the attention of more and more important people, local officials or synagogue leaders or whatever. And that attention might come with an invitation, hey, Come stay at my house. Come eat at my table. And Jesus says, no, stay in the house that you started with. I think there's an aspect of humility and steadfastness that Jesus is teaching in the face of success. He's also teaching them how to handle failure. Jesus says to them, too, as he sends them, he says, if people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. You know, in the Jewish people, they lived in the, whole, uh, the promised land, the land of Israel, which was holy to them. Uh, when they would leave the land and go on a journey, they were instructed as they came back to the land of Israel to shake the dust off their feet before they re-entered the borders. Take, we don't want any of the pollution of the Gentile nations coming into our holy promised Gentile, uh, land of Israel. So shake the dust off. We don't even want the dirt from those people coming back into the land with you. Jesus is drawing on this common practice. It seems a little bit harsh to me, not very gracious, but I think what Jesus is saying to his disciples here, shake the dust off your feet, is if you're not received or if you fail, move on. Move on. Shake the dust off. Wipe your slate clean. You gave them a chance. The work is too urgent. So keep going. Walk away. Be okay with it. It's not your fault. It's their fault. Shake the dust off your feet. And in giving them a chance to practice, Jesus is, is also teaching them how to trust God, how to handle success, and how to handle failure in the process. Now, I mentioned this story is recorded in Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, and we read from Luke's gospel, but Matthew's gospel gives us two interesting details that Luke and Mark don't give us, and I want to just highlight these real quick. So this comes from Matthew 10. Matthew 10. Uh, And as Jesus sends them off, he says these words as well, according to Matthew. Don't go among the Gentiles or or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus is limiting their audience. He limits their audience. Now, it's true that throughout Jesus' ministry, he prioritized the Israelites in his ministry. And that's not because he doesn't... uh, love or include the Gentiles, that's most of us, the other nations, but because Jesus is the fulfillment of the hopes and dreams and scriptures of the people of Israel, they have a foundation for understanding who Jesus is and uh, what he's doing and what God is up to. Uh, And Jesus, over time, doesn't limit himself just to Israel, nor does he limit his disciples later on to just Israel. But here, he limits his disciples only to doing this practice work among the Israelites. I think there's a a one-step-at-a-time aspect to this, right? Let's start with this smaller group of people who have the background to understand, hopefully, what we're up to and what you're saying. One step at a time. Interpret it as coming from the one true God. That's the Israelites. So he instructs them to practice in this smaller limited space with this limited group. And the second detail Matthew gives us that I think is interesting is this. Again, coming from Matthew 10, Jesus says these words as he sends them. I am sending you out like a sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. Even though it's a uh, limited environment, just the Israelites, we're gonna stick with these people, guys. The stakes for this are very real. They're very real, the danger is real. There's real implications, real consequences to doing the work that Jesus does. And he plainly tells the 12 as he sends them out. He tells them upfront and allows them to experience the weight of what it is, what it means to do and be like Jesus. When Jesus had his disciples practice, he he gives them opportunity to figure it out in a limited environment that was somewhat conducive to practice, but also had very real implications. Practicing, I think, is a key ingredient of discipleship. It's how we put knowledge into action and learn to be more like Jesus. Practicing puts into effect the things that we learn doing this sort of practice can also reveal things to us. Things we never knew about ourselves or about God or about the world can reveal things new to us. When I was uh, 19 or 20 years old, somewhere in that, that age range, I, I was volunteering with a uh, youth ministry from my, uh, the church I grew up in in Connecticut. And uh, I'd been serving now for about a year in that capacity as a volunteer in the youth ministry. And I was doing all the typical youth ministry stuff, you know, having armfuls of flamingos or, or uh, planning games that involved covering students in Jello and sending them home all sticky and gross and you know, that kind of youth ministry stuff. Uh, and our youth group was fairly large. We had a midweek youth program for both middle and high school. And we had a Sunday morning youth program, uh, like a worship service. We had a full band, student-led band. We had a message. often. We did small groups and that kind of thing and and I would often help with the music or the small groups sort of behind the scenes stuff as well but one Sunday uh, I was asked if I would speak on the Sunday morning and there would be well over a hundred students in the room uh, for Sunday mornings. Now Today you guys see me up on stage preaching and, uh, you know, hopefully you, do, you think I do an okay job, but 15 or 16 years ago, I had never spoken in front of a group of people before. And uh, here's a little secret about me is that I'm not naturally inclined to be on stage. I don't, I don't naturally like attention or being in front of people, and it's just not how, how I'm wired kind of naturally in my being. My, in fact, my freshman year of college, uh, for one of my courses, our final was an oral presentation in front of a class, and uh, you know I was really nervous about it, and I did all the work I prepared, and then the day of, I was so anxious, I just straight up skipped it. Just stayed in my dorm room. I emailed my professor, I'm like, sorry, I'm not coming. I'm not doing it. And there was like only 10 students in the class. We're not talking about a big lecture hall. I was just so anxious and so, so nervous. I'm, and so here I am, 1920. It's only about a year later from that, skipping that final, asked to speak in front of this fairly large group. And I, I tried to say no, but our, our youth pastor at the time, Craig, he, he wouldn't let me off the hook because, and he'll tell you this today, he, he knew God was up to something, so... I prepared this message, I, I, I worked on it, I, I went over it, I practiced it, and I, I showed up that Sunday morning, and I was, I was kind of a wreck, <laughs> you know, a couple dry heaves before going up on stage, And uh, uh, I didn't, but I didn't want to disappoint the students, or Craig, or, or more importantly, God, and I thought, okay, I got to do this, and, and so I grabbed the microphone, and my hand's doing this with the microphone, and as I'm about to walk out, and, and I, I get out there, and I, I start to talk, and that hand stops shaking, and And all the anxiety and all the weight of what I was feeling just felt effortless and weightless in that moment. And not something I can describe other than than that. That was the Holy Spirit right there. Uh, Called a friend of mine afterwards. He knew knew all this. And I said, hey, I think it went well. I think I'm going to do that again. (laughs) And uh, it was just a few months later that I had this profound moment of the Lord intervening in my life and saying, Matt, I'm calling you to vocational ministry. And we could talk about that story some other time. but. But because I had stepped out and taken an opportunity to follow Jesus in a way that I never had before, I discovered something I didn't know that God was doing in me, a gift that he was giving me. A passion as well for, for communicating his word that grew in me starting from that, uh, from that moment. Now, if you don't like my preaching, maybe that uh, that illustration falls flat on you. But I was I was given, I was given there this limited environment, right? Youth ministry, very real implications. These are real lives, real kids, and who's more judgmental than high schoolers, right? And uh, I was given that environment to put into a put into practice what I know about Jesus and do the things that he does, like proclaiming the kingdom of God. I was given that opportunity to practice, discovered something in the process. A practicing discipleship, practicing what Jesus does, is not just limited to the big ministry stuff like speaking, but see everyday stuff as well, our attitude, our character, our willingness and empathy, all those things. So I, how do you practice how do you practice doing what Jesus does? Well, the best way, I think, the best way is to serve. Serving is the best way to practice discipleship, finding a place in the church or in the community to give of yourself and to serve your neighbors and serve God's kingdom. Serving's the best way. Because you are forced to put into effect things like humility or your passions or your gifts, You're forced to put into effect being and doing like Jesus. And maybe being stretched, doing things you wouldn't normally do. Being uncomfortable and being vulnerable. Uh, there are lots of opportunities in our church to serve at both of our campuses, and, and most of you know this, right? We've got plenty of opportunities to serve, and something as simple as making coffee on a Sunday morning at North Avenue or here is, a, is an awesome way, it's, an, it's a simple way to put into practice discipleship. It's uh, serving others, caring for others, showing up early, stewarding the church's resources. It takes time and energy and humility, and, and that's a way to put discipleship into practice, or serving in our children's ministry, teaching our kids about Jesus, opening up the scriptures with them, having fun together. Uh, It often requires patience and stuff like that. That's a great way to practice being like Jesus in that environment. Um, uh, Leading a community group or Bible study, inviting people into your home, hospitality, sharing life, praying. That's discipleship practice. Our greeters and ushers, that's a great way to practice discipleship. Uh, inviting people in, making everyone feel welcome and and cared for in our church facilities, and, uh, you know, going the extra mile often to help them find a seat or or where the bathroom, you know, those sorts of things. That's discipleship practice. Uh, Serving meals with a new place, discipleship practice. Giving towards our Christmas gift card ministry come November, discipleship practice. Serving outside the church in community organizations, It's a great place to put into effect being and doing like Jesus. Uh, My wife and I, I should say mostly her, we serve with our uh, kids' sports teams, uh, coaching, check-in, safety officer, team parent. We've done all those things to serve our neighbors and our neighborhoods, and to do that well means doing like Jesus does, right? Love, patience, joy. It's a great way to practice being like Jesus. And all these things give us opportunities to practice doing and being like Jesus. And serving not only helps us put those things into practice, but but it can help us discover things in the process. Maybe it's a gift you never knew you had as you try something new, or, or maybe there's a call on your life to ministry or missions or leadership that you won't realize until you start to serve in that way. Or maybe there's a passion for something that's laid dormant in you. Yeah, Maybe that you couldn't even put words to, that you discover when you serve. Serving is a great way to put these things into practice and experience the ongoing process by which we become more like Jesus through what we do. We're not going to look like Jesus if we don't do the things he does and if we don't practice these things. You know, he sends his disciples out to practice and they come back to him to continue doing ministry with him. And you know, we're not perfect. We're not going to get it right. They didn't get it right. We're not going to get it right. Most of the time, anyway. That's why we practice. The more we do it, the more effect it's going to have in our lives as we go through the ongoing process, right? It's ongoing. Discipleship, like the 12, involves practice. That's that second key ingredient. Third key ingredient I see in Jesus' discipleship of the 12 is that they did it together. They did it together. Jesus, he worked with a group. Start to finish, he worked with a group. Uh, you know, it's funny that in our Bibles, pretty much all of Jesus' interactions with his disciples, we don't see a lot of one-on-one interactions. It's usually with the group or with a subset of the group or with one of them representing the group in a question they ask, something like that. He works with the group. The funny thing is, too, that uh, Jesus doesn't explicitly teach on community or communal discipleship himself. But it is undeniably implicit in everything that he does. Like in John chapter 13, we, re- we talked about, um, I think this about a month ago now, Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And he says this in John 13. He says, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One of the core defining aspects of discipleship is community. We can't love one another if there's not another one to love, right? It's it's community. And Jesus says that's how the world will know you're my disciples is, is by your community dynamic. And this becomes even clearer to us when we turn the page to the book of Acts, And we look at the earliest expression of the church and how they functioned after Jesus left. So this is from Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 44. Jesus is gone. The Holy Spirit's come. And it says in in Acts 2, all the believers were together and had everything in common. It's community. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That sounds like a community to me. (laughs) Eating together, praying together, worshiping together, sharing property possessions, caring for each other. Discipleship is a community experience. It never was, and it never should be, an individual experience. In his letters, the Apostle Paul, you know how many times he uses the phrase, our Lord, ours, our Lord, in his letters? 53 times. You know how many times he uses the word, my Lord, me, my individual? One time. One time. To do discipleship, like the 12, we have to do it together. Three reasons why this is vital, doing discipleship together. Number one, it lifts you up. It lifts you up. You're not perfect, believe it or not. Shocker, I know. We need others to help challenge our often errant hearts and minds and call us back to Christ. We also need others to help carry us when we're, when we're falling or to encourage us when we're feeling discouraged, to lift us up when we're feeling low. Here's uh, some words from Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We so often need to be spurred on by our community as we follow Jesus in discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes these words in his book, Life Together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my favorites. He says, God has willed that we should seek and find God's living word in the testimony of other Christians, in the mouths of human beings. Therefore, Christians need other Christians who speak God's word to them. They need them again and again when they become uncertain or disheartened because, living by their own resources, they cannot help themselves without cheating themselves out of the truth. They need other Christians as bearers and proclaimers of the divine word of salvation. Doing discipleship together means that we can lift each other up (laughs) or maybe drag each other along (laughs) when things are difficult, when the weight of life crushes, right? We need others to lift us up and others need you to lift them up as well. It's to our benefit that we do it as a community. Second vital reason why we need to do discipleship together is because we are at our best when we are together. We are at our best when we do it together. You know, the Apostle Paul, his favorite metaphor for the church, right? The community, the Jesus community, he calls it the body of Christ. Jesus is the head and the rest of us are all members, parts of the body, which which means that we work best together. 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 6, he writes these words, the Apostle Paul. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, to one, there is given the Spirit, uh, by the, through the Spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And another, the interpretation of tongues. You know, I, I love this. You know, these verses make it pretty clear to us that there are different kinds of gifts. There's different kinds of work, different kinds of people making up this body of Christ thing. We're all good at different things and given different gifts. And the Spirit works in us in different ways. And as Paul writes, it's for the common good. It's for the common good, the good of the whole. We are at our best when we are doing this together. We're at our best when we're doing this together. You know, our church staff is a is a great example, a little microcosm of, uh, of this idea, different parts fitting together and working well together. Some of our staff are good at teaching and, and some of us are good at music. Some of us are really good at critical thinking. Uh, some of us are good at saying, uh, let's do this but not knowing how to do that. And then some of us are good at knowing how to do that. And, and there's uh, some of us that are good at, with empathy and, and others that are good at helping people feel welcome. And you know we all have strengths and weaknesses and, and we're all different. We all fill in the gaps for one another as a staff. I uh, mentioned earlier, I used to be a youth pastor. <laughs> and it became clear to me after doing that for a few years that God did not make me the type of person to be a youth pastor. It was very, very hard for me at the end to keep at it. But I mean, when you see Russ on the screen with those flamingos and hear what he's doing, I mean, is it undeniable that God has created Russ to be that guy, right? Just the best. I, over the last few months, I'd walk by his office and be like, what the heck are those flamingos doing in there? And I'm not sure Russ knew what they were doing in there for a while. He's just like, I've got a bunch of flamingos. We're going to figure out what to do with this. But that's how he's wired. And, and that's how God's made Russ to be that guy. And, and every story I hear of what our youth group is up to and what Russ is doing, and helping to lead that team, I'm just like, yes, Russ, I'm so glad it's you and glad it's not me. I'm so glad that it's you. (laughs) And it's just awesome. And that's just a microcosm, you know, of our church, of you, and how we all fit together and fill in the gaps for one another. To make our church best is by you being a part of it and serving and giving yourself in that way. You are each uniquely created with gifts and passions that others don't have, so when we do discipleship together, we fill in the gaps and we can, we can live out the reality that we are indeed the body of Christ, right? Diverse in our parts and in our functions, but united by our Lord, united by his spirit, and our goal of becoming more like him together. We're at our best when we're together. Uh, third reason doing discipleship together is vital is because together as the church, We are the visible manifestation of Jesus to the world. And this is the point we're going to end on today. If it's true that we're all limited and flawed on our own, then in this life, we each individually, we're we're never going to look exactly like Jesus looked. We're never going to fully realize that goal in this life. It's an ongoing process. Each of us individually is a... It's kind of an ever-growing piece of the puzzle of Jesus's presence manifest to the world today. You know, each one of us is vital to the whole, and the whole is vital to making Jesus known. I'm gonna to go to Ephesians 2, and I want you to listen to these words carefully. And I'll point out as I read them that when you see the word you, Y-O-U, this is plural, you all, y'all. So this is Ephesians 2. Consequently, you, you all, are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is joined together And rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you all too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. This is temple language. In our community of ever growing disciples, each of us is a stone that makes up the house of God, the temple. And we are being built together, stacked next to, on top of, below, just one another. We are built together. And God himself has come to dwell with us in our community. Together, we form this new temple. And he's not here just to sit peacefully with us but through us to make himself known to the world. Remember last week we talked about this, that Jesus first called to his disciples when he says, hey, come follow me. He says, I will send you out to fish for people. I'll make you fishers of men. And then his last word to his disciples in Matthew's gospel, great commission. He says, go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And he ends by saying, surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. His ongoing presence is promised to us as we together fulfill this call to discipleship. We, church, we together are the visible presence of Jesus in the world today continuing to practice the work he started as we sit at his feet and learn more about him. Discipleship, it's the ongoing process by which we become more like Jesus. And when we say yes to him, yes to following him, being his disciple, he he puts us on that trajectory that hopefully every day becoming more and more like him as we sit at his feet, learn about him, learn how to see things from that grace perspective, grow in that relationship with him as we practice, serve, and do the things that he does in the world today, and as we do it together. He has us on that trajectory, each of us. And together, as the body of Christ, each of us a disciple, we make him known to the world around us and fulfill that discipleship call of fishing for people. So church, that's, that's discipleship. It's not just knowledge, right? It's not, it's not taking the right classes. It's not, uh, you know, memorizing the most scripture. It's, it's not joining the right groups, although those things help and they are important. Discipleship is you looking more like Jesus every day and us together making him known to the world. Everything we do as a church is for the sake of discipleship. Everything we do, growing, practicing, learning, serving, being together, it's all for the sake of fulfilling this discipleship call, of looking like him and doing what he does, fishing for people, making more disciples. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't yet, church, find a place to plug in. Maybe it's a group or Bible study, a place to serve. You know, we can't, we can't do this without you. And you can't do it on your own so plug in plug in as you go through this process of discipleship and as we as a community go through it together uh let's let's pray now so church would you stand and we'll close in prayer uh, god it seems like an impossible standard for us to be like you I know I don't look like you most days. And yet you say that you are conforming us into the image of your son. And that as we follow you, you are putting that to effect in us by your Holy Spirit. So God, I'm thankful that it's not totally up to me to be like you because, man, I would fail hard and I do. But, Lord, you are the one dragging me along in that and and each of us. So as you drag us along, Lord, help us each to sit at your feet and listen, to know you, to really know you, and then to find ways to put into effect in our lives the things that we're learning from and about you, who you are, what you do, the type of character you have, help us to put that into practice, to make those intentional choices in those moments where we could so easily go back to default mode. Help us to see how we can choose to be like you. And God, together, knit us as a community closer together. Help us to find places to plug in with others, groups, places to serve or otherwise so that not only uh, we can go through this looking like you process, but Lord, we together can look more like you as a church and that uh, the world around us would look at our church community and say, hey, there's something about that church, Essex Alliance and North Ave and, and who they are and what they do that's different. Lord, we want to fulfill your call in our lives. Help us do that. And Lord, whether you have to drag us or whether we're walking with you step by step, don't give up on us. We know you won't. And help us not to give up on you. So God, by your grace, help us with this. And as we go from this place today, Lord, we see how far we've come from who we were to who we are and who one day you're making us to be. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. God bless you as you go. Have a great week. Enjoy the sunshine, and we'll see you again soon. God bless.